Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help you develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road and saw so many amazing things that God had done in my life through this habit. So over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and His presence. I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you again for joining me today. I'm so glad to have you here. Today, I'm going to talk about how to read the Bible. I do want to point out, I'm not talking about Bible study. I'm not talking about Bible doctrine formation. I'm just talking about reading the Bible and getting the habit of getting into the Word of God established in your life. There's no wrong way to read the Bible. There is a wrong way to study the Bible. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the Word of truth. And so we're going to talk about Bible study and establishing doctrinal beliefs in another episode. Just a few quick tips on getting this habit established in your life. Number one, start small. When I first began reading the Bible, I read something from Max Lucado in a book. He said, read the Bible until something jumps off the page at you. Stop there, write that verse in a notebook or in a journal or on a piece of paper, and think about that verse throughout the day. And so I really took that to heart. I was so sporadic at first, but it really helped me to learn to pay attention to the Bible speaking to me, to the Bible ministering to me. I would stop. I would start to dig into a verse. It's really how... I began to read the Bible, how I began to study the Bible, because I would start looking words up in the concordance, and God just began to do a lot through that simple concept of starting small, reading until something jumped off the page, and then writing it down. It's also how I really began journaling. Secondly, slow down with the Word of God. There's a quote that I love from Charles Spurgeon. He said, I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than to rinse my hand in several chapters. That is such a powerful quote, and I love the concept of laying my soul to soak in the Word of God. There's so many people that just race through their Bible readings. They can check it off their list. They're doing some sort of a Bible reading plan, and it's something they have to accomplish. Don't do that. Devote as much time as you can to this. Again, start small, but don't race through this. Let God minister to you. This is not ritual. This is not religion. This is not routine. This is the formation of relationship, and you cannot rush relationship. So allow God to speak to you through his word, and you speak back to him in vulnerable prayer. Number three, read it like it's a love letter. The Bible is a love letter, and it is the way we get to know the author. The Bible is full of such depth of love. It is the story of God robing himself in flesh, to come to redeem humanity back to himself because he loved us, because he desired relationship with us. And so read it like it's a love letter. Fourth, read it for comfort. We turn to so many things when we are feeling down, depressed, discouraged, sad. We turn to food. We turn to social media to get our mind off of it. We turn to Netflix. We turn to our successes and we work harder We turn to relationships with other people. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. We all have those things that we go to for comfort. But if you will teach yourself 
that when you're sad or when you're down to get your Bible out and turn to the Word of God and let God comfort you through His Word. If you'll turn to Him and get in His presence and allow that to be a comfort, this will go so far in establishing this habit and establishing this relationship with Jesus. All week I've had Romans 15, 4 on my head. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It is so comforting to read the stories in the Bible where we see that God used people who didn't have it all together. He used people who were imperfect, who were flawed. That there were people who overcame incredible odds and incredible obstacles in serving him and just in life in general. That is so, so, so comforting. Next, I would say read to feed. Remember that the Bible is food for your spirit, man. It's food for your inner person. Moses said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. And you don't have to understand everything you're reading in order for it to be feeding you. Just like you have no clue what's happening when you eat a bite of broccoli, you may not fully understand everything you're reading, but it is, again, feeding you and nourishing you. So let me just run through that list super quick. Again, start small, slow down with the Word of God, read it like it's a love letter, read it for comfort, and read to feed. Remember that this is food for your soul. I've had a lot of people ask, where do I start? They just are overwhelmed by the Bible. It is a big book, and that can be an overwhelming question. I would recommend the Psalms. The Psalms are mostly written by King David, who was the second king of Israel, They're the prayers, songs, journal entries of David and of other men of God. There's a lot of emotion, and a lot of times we can identify with the things people are saying and feeling as they're writing prayers and songs to God. So that's a great place to start. Second of all, the Gospels. This is that place between the Old Testament and the New Testament where Jesus is on earth, God robed in flesh, walking the streets of our worlds, performing miracles, dealing with people. You can see his response to people. It is very, very powerful. You see that he's training 12 men who are going to establish the church. That's a great place to start. Or you can start in Genesis and read all the way through to the end. So in addition to the other points I gave, I think it is good to have some sort of plan. Like I'm reading this book or I'm reading this series of books or I'm starting in Genesis and going all the way to the end have some sort of plan or some sort of system. Very briefly, I just want to share a couple of ways that I've personally read the Bible. I do not do the same thing all the time. Um, That's probably a personality thing. I'm not necessarily an orderly person in a lot of regards. I'm a little bit random. And so this is what works for me is to do something different all the time. But I have done these things. I've read the Bible all the way through in one year. I have read the Bible all the way through in five months by listening to it and while I'm looking at the pages as much as possible. I didn't always look at the pages, but I did listen to it in five months. That was incredible. One time, I stayed in the Gospels for a year. I had really felt God lay that on my heart, and I went through them with a fine-tooth comb. I made a list on everything Jesus said about prayer. I made a list of everything Jesus said about faith. I made charts with the miracles and which gospels they were in. I took notes on how he interacted with sinners and how he interacted with the self-righteous. It was very, 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 very interesting. Um, There's other times where I have just started in Genesis and made my way all the, the way to Revelation 
with no particular time frame. It might have taken me a year and a half, two years, um, but I've done that on several occasions. Right now, actually, as of today, I'm starting something called Summer in the Psalms. It just came to me yesterday, and I'm going to read one or two psalms a day, and I'm going to make some lists. I know for sure I'm going to make a list about all the statements of dependence and desperation in the Bible or in the psalms. I'm going to make a list of all the times where it talks about God being a refuge, a shelter, a comfort. I'm not sure of all the lists. Sometimes I just, as I get into something, I start seeing a pattern and then I start to record that pattern. Other times I've gone to a specific chapter and I or a specific book and I've just stayed there for a long time. A few years back, I read the story of David and Goliath every day for several months. I don't even recall how long it was and it floored me. I thought I knew that Bible story. That is the most common Bible story of all time. But God just showed me so, so, so many things in the story of David and Goliath. And last week, I heard Reverend Josh Herring say, words are the weapons of the spirit world. And it reminded me of one of the entries that I wrote during that time being in 1 Samuel for several months. And so that is the entry that I am going to share today. I've just had it on my heart all week. It is called War of Words. And I would like to share that with you now. As I began to read and reread the story of David and Goliath a few weeks ago, the first thing that came to my attention was words. The Bible introduces the battle and the bad guy. The first thing the bad guy does, talk. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt from across the mountain. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. This is how the story starts, and this is how the story continues. In analyzing Goliath's strategy, I see classic bully, classic intimidation, He uses words to point out his size. He uses words to point out their inadequacies. He uses what they see and what they hear to convince them to to give up and to keep them locked in fear. All he did was get close and talk. The word says he drew near three times and it says said or spake or cursed six times. Was it effective? Well, it depends on who Goliath's words were to. To Saul and the entire Israelite army, this bad guy and his battle strategy were effective. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. 1 Samuel 1 11, or 17 11. Saul doesn't say anything back. No one in the Israelite army talks back. They shake in fear and hide in their tents. They allow Goliath to set the parameters for the fight. Send me a man. They listen, but they don't respond. They are held hostage by what they hear. For them, the words were effective. But there came a day after 40 days that Jesse said to David, take some provisions to your brothers. Upon his arrival at the battleground and as he's talking with his brothers, Goliath comes out and does his thing. As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. The same words have the same effect on the army this 41st day. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They run away, but David 
David starts talking. Verse 26, And David spake, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David uses his voice to get the facts. Verse 29, And David said, Is there not a cause? Verse 30, And David turned from him to another and spake after the same manner. David uses his words to point out a reason to fight. His words show purpose. The result? David's words are rehearsed to Saul, and David's words find him in audience with the king. His first words to Saul? Verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight for him. David uses his voice to alleviate the fear of others and offer himself to fight. Now David has already heard the tormenting taunts of the enemy. David has already heard the fearful response of his fellow Israelites. Now David is about to hear his inadequacies spoken by the king. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David is not daunted. David keeps talking. Verse 34, And David said to Saul, David goes on to share stories of personal victory. He relays the stories of hand-to-hand combat with a lion and a bear and how he had won. David used his voice to testify of past victories. Verse 37, And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. David uses his voice to credit the Lord for past victories and declares credit to him in advance of future victories. And Saul said unto David, Go, but not without first trying to force David into his mold and outfitting him with his armor. Saul places his helmet and coat of mail on David, and David put Saul's sword on. But once they were on and David tried to move with them, he spoke up. And David said in verse 39, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. David uses his words to declare that he is going to stick with what works. David picks up stones from the brook and advances towards the enemy. When Goliath sees him coming, he speaks his final words. And Goliath said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Then he curses David and continues talking. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Scripture does not state how those words made David feel. It just goes on to say what David said in response to an enemy champion who spoke death threats. Verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from you, And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. David used his words to prophesy the destruction of the enemy by the power of God and for the glory of God. David used his words to speak faith in God's capability, and David used his words to credit God and the entire Israelite army with the victory. Let me just interject right there. I think that is so interesting. 
David didn't take the credit for himself. He credited the Israelite army with victory when they had been shaking in their tents. Pretty amazing. The story goes on with the part everyone knows. Goliath draws near. David runs to meet him with raw courage. David takes the first stone out of his bag, slings it, and hits the fearsome, brutish Goliath square in his forehead. Goliath topples. David advances with no sword, stands on top of Goliath, takes Goliath's very own sword out of its sheath, and cuts off the giant's head. The Philistines see their champion is dead, run in fear, and are pursued by the now bolstered Israelite army who defeat them. The Israelites then come back and spoil the Philistine tents. But David, the record of the spoil he takes is this. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put the armor in his tent. Goliath's head and Goliath's armor went home with this youth who was willing to use his words and step out in active faith. Maybe the armor went next to a bear tooth or a lion tooth. I think maybe David just wanted a future reminder that the battle is the Lord's. David's words worked. Words always work. While I have never faced a literal giant who shouts taunts from the other side of the valley, I have faced another bully known as the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10 says he accuses day and night. He reminds me a lot of Goliath. He uses classic intimidation to leave the people of God hiding in fear. He uses his words to point out the vast scope of societal problems and our inability to affect them. He points out my size. He points out my inadequacies. He uses what I see and what I hear with my physical senses to demoralize and downgrade. He uses his words to cripple. He uses his words to clutch hearts with guilt, shame, and condemnation. He uses his words in an attempt to set the battle parameters. I have heard his words on repeat. Who do you think you are? You have nothing to offer. You are unworthy. Why would God love you? God could never use someone with your past. And on and on and on. God doesn't love you. If he loved you, why is all this happening? God doesn't care. He drones on endlessly. He's had millennia to perfect his craft, and he knows those lines that touch that nerve. Do his words work? That depends on who hears them. Goliath didn't count on David to talk back, and the accuser doesn't count on me to talk back. But like David, I've fought a couple of battles, and I know the goodness and the capability of God. And like David, I choose to use my words in direct defiance of every lie and every accusation. Revelation 12:11 goes on to say that the brethren overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The accuser is defeated by the perfect, spotless, sacrificial blood of Jesus and my confessing that perfect work in my life. His voice is shut down by Jesus' blood and my voice. Like David, I will start talking. I will use my words to declare that there is a cause, there is a reason to fight. I will use my voice to help alleviate the fear of others. I will use my voice to testify of past victories and to credit God for future victories. I will use my voice to boldly proclaim that the battle is still the Lord's and that he will win victory for his people. I made up my mind a long time ago that my voice would be known in heaven and my voice would be known in hell. I refuse to allow the biggest bully of all time to silence my prayers, my worship, my encouragement, or my declarations of faith. I refuse to be quiet because it's a war of words and words work. The battle is the Lord's. 
Thank you, David, for leading the way and proving that size and age and personal capability are not the key factor. Thank you for showing us how to talk back and step out in bold confidence based solely on whose side you're on and whose power you're walking in. Thank you for your fearless action motivated by previous victories and a deep walk with God. Thank you, David. Your words worked. Again, that was a little devotional entry called War of Words. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue and your words are a weapon. Our words are so powerful when it comes to the battlefield of life and the battlefield of the mind. We have to learn to exercise our faith by putting our mouth into motion, by aligning our words with God's words. Speak the word of God back to God himself and speak the word of God to defeat the enemy. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. He said, it is written, I love a verse in Psalms. It says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. This is another reason why it's just so important and so vital to get to know God through his word. And I just want to close by saying, the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to love the Bible. And the more you love the Bible, the more you're going to read the Bible. It is a self-sustaining habit. Your Bible is going to become your best friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or if you'd like to download a typed or handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meguneditedcom For now, go grab your Bible and your journal. I'm looking forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.